Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. Matthew is in the New Testament, so it's the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew was a former tax collector that had an encounter with Jesus, and his story was changed. He became a follower of Jesus, and he writes this eyewitness account of Jesus' ministry and the things that Jesus said. And so he's sharing right here what he heard Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13, and so verse 13 says this, says, now, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, again, keep in mind who he's talking to. He's talking to people that are disenfranchised, they have no political power, no political say, they have no economic, social, or economic standing in the community. I mean, you know, all the things that we would equate to influence and power and significance, they did not have, and yet he told them, you are the salt of the earth. So in other words, you know, a lot of times we think, well, if I just had this, I feel disenfranchised, I, what difference can I make? And he was telling this to this group of people that by some people's standards were considered outcasts. Matthew was certainly considered one of those. And he's saying to them, you're the salt of the earth. Without all these other things that we view as influence, you have the ability to be salt in the world that we live in. And he said, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Now... Today, when we use the word salty, it has a different meaning than when they used it. Like, we don't want you being salty, you know, I mean, according to today's standards. But according to what he's talking about, we want to be salty, you know. And so, and so, you know, somebody says, hey, are you being salty? You say, well, not in the biblical sense. I'm not, you know, I mean, so, but we want to be salt. And you think, what does salt do? Well, back in their days, salt did one of the things it did is the same thing it does for us today. It provides flavor to the things that it was put upon. Second of all, it was a preservative. And so it would preserve things. It would preserve foods and cause them to last longer. It also had some healing capacities in it. Then also sometimes whenever armies would take over lands, uh, they would salt the earth because it would keep anything uh, from growing. So it would cause the people to have to be focused on getting food as opposed to rising up in rebellion. So it limited the growth of certain things. And so by that standard, you know, we're called to be salt. We're called to bring flavor, you know, to the world that we live in, to preserve, to do our best to live in such a way that we preserve judgment from taking place in communities and things like that. And that, you know, there's a healing, something healing about our presence that we get around people and that, and that also that we should, you know, that evil should have a hard time growing around us. So we should live our lives in such a way that we're standing away. I remember my great-grandmother, she made this stuff called salt pork, and most of you probably have no idea what that is. Some of you do, and when you, I taste it one time, and there's a good reason why they call it salt pork. It is like this, it's, it's like taking just this whole thing of salt, pouring it in your hand, and just not licking it, but just like swallowing it. You can almost feel your blood vessels constricting as you, you know, as you ate it. And so that's probably why she died at the young age of 98. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, it, was just, it just had that, that impact, you know, on you. Well, again, that's who we're called to be. We're called to be the salt of the earth. And so he said this right here. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled under foot as worthless. You're the light of the world. Again, remember who he's talking to. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You can't, you can't hide it. You can't constrict the light that's coming from it. No matter what you do, it can't be hidden in dark places. It just shows. They cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand 
where it gives light to everyone in the house. Everybody say everyone. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Just let people see them. So they can say good things about me or talk about how wonderful I am. No. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So he said, you know, it's like we're called to be salt. Well, you know, I, 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 you know I'm, I'm not the most popular. I'm not a leader or whatever. You're called to be salt. You're called to be a light. And the two examples he gave was like a city set on a hill. And what would happen back in those days, a lot of times that city would be a point of reference. Hey, where am I supposed to go? Well, you see those lights up there? There's that city. You just way down there miles away. You just, just head towards that. Just keep, just, the road that takes you there is the one that you want. And so just go that direction. That's, we're called to be that, 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 you know, that people are able to look at our life and that, if the, you know, that we're pointing a direction. Also, it wasn't just for things a long way off, but also he said that you know, light's also used within a house, within a room, that it lights everything in the room. I've woken up in the middle of the night with no lights on and ran into things that have been there for years. And my little toe that I was unaware of in one minute totally became the center of my world the next. And, and it's a great picture. Sometimes we see people do things and think things and believe things. They're like, how can they think that way? How can they believe that way? Well, it's because they're in darkness. What's obvious to you when you're in light is, is it's just... Dark, and you know, we we used to have this little dog, man, and I mean, and she had cataracts when I was a kid, and man, you could not move furniture. I mean, you know, she would just things that you know we would clearly see our way around, move around, she would bump into it. And so we're called to be that, to be you know, for our lives to point a direction, so they have clarity, and that when we're in their presence, that we live in such a way that there's light to reveal to them the obstacles that are trying to trap them and ensnare them. And it says that we do all of that so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So you know, when we talk about who we are as a church, you know, Jesus said this. He told his disciples, he said, um, he said uh, you know, that he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was the very first place he started. That was the place they lived at the time. That's where they were. So the first place that they would begin to display their witness and minister was where they lived. That was the very first place. Our first calling is to our family. Our first calling is to our family. We have a calling before, before the world outside of us. We have a calling to our community, to the people around us. It's one thing to travel to the uttermost parts of the earth, but what does it mean if we're indifferent to our neighbor's eternal well-being? So, so to, in Jerusalem, then Judea, the place that was around Jerusalem, then Samaria, the place they didn't want to go, the places they didn't want to go, the people they didn't want to talk to, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, to place anywhere people are, they have an opportunity, we have an obligation to share Jesus with them. And we want to be that place. And so our first emphasis of ministry is to the community that we live in. Not the only emphasis we have, but our first emphasis, to be good to the community we live in. And we want to do that so that we can point our way to the Father. Now, I know sometimes we'll do things, people say, well, you know, should you be telling people that you do that? Well, and, and look, understand our reason is, is that the example or, or what, the, what people, when they think about, the, about God sometimes, they think about the church. 
And the challenge I have is the devil has done a great job of writing a narrative about the church as a whole that is not true for the church as a whole. It's only true for the church in part. I love the local church. I love the people in the local church. I love ministers. Yes, I know they're a mess. Yes, I know. Let me back up. Yes, I know we're a mess. Yes, I know we're broken. And I know even in ministry that the call on your life is divine, but your life isn't divine. But we have to live out the way that we do and, and live out you know, what we're called to live out and do our best to do that. And like we say around here, you know, if, we, if we're not an example in the way we live, then we want to be an example in the way we apologize. And so in the church, when the devil's narrative is, is well, all they want is my money and, you know, it's just a real clickish place and all that kind of stuff. All those things that the, that the enemy puts in people's minds and people unaware and unknowingly say those same things as a tool of the devil to keep people away from a body of believers that are imperfect just like them. That we become tools of the enemy whenever we do that instead of embracing the fact, yes, they're imperfect. Yes, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come for any of the perfect people. He came for all of the imperfect ones. I qualify. And so as a result of that, we're not looking to recruit perfect people. We're not looking to hide our imperfection or our brokenness. We're here to say that this is who I am. And again, he loves me just like I am, but he's doing a work in me to bring about change in me that only he can bring. Not my spouse, not my kids, not all the criticism in the world. Only Jesus can do that. And as we do these things, yes, you'll know it's us because we want you to know, hey, look, you know, those churches you're talking about, we're one of them. And we want to change the narrative that you have because we want to show you that we're trying to be just like our father, just like our father who loves you just where you're at. He is indiscriminate in his love for us and what he does. Now, again, he changes us when we have that encounter and surrender to him. But our desire should be this, that we need to live our lives in such a way that those who don't know Jesus want to know Jesus. And so we're good to our community for that reason, to point our way to the Father so that they, when they see us, they know it's Him, that we're pointing towards Him. And so that's what we're called to do. So number one is this, is that being relentlessly good points people to the Father. Look at number two, if you would go with me, if you would, to 2 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 8, and here's where you find it. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Now, in 2 Kings, there was a prophet named Elisha, and God had used him to do a lot of just great things, a lot of great miracles and things like that. And one time he was passing through a town, and there was a, a, a woman there that she was married into a family of wealth. And she said to him, she recognized him as a man of God, and she said, you need to come stay with us. So he said, okay, well, he would stay with them, and they would care for him when he was on his way from one place to the other. One day she said to her husband, she said, look, she said, I think this is a man of God. And she said, we need to build a room on our roof for him so that when he comes by, he has a place to stay. Well, him being a good husband, his wife said, do this, so he's okay. So um, <laughs> I'll stop right Anyway, so. So they did that. Well, he, he would come by, and one day he was sitting there, and he had a, a guy that traveled with him, kind of worked for him. He, was just, you know, he served him, and that kind of thing. His name was Gehazi, and he said to Gehazi, he said, we need to do something for her. She's been so good to me. We need to do something for her. So he asked her, you know, what do you need? She said, man, I don't need anything. My family takes care of me. I'm just so blessed, and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, I know she don't have any kids. He said, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. And she was like, my husband's like, you know, he's, like he's a good man, but he's really, really old, so don't. Don't tease me like this. I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being this way. Don't, don't tease me. Don't tell me that. 
and then it not be true. And he goes, no, you're going to, sure enough, by that time next year, she had a baby boy. So years go on, and one day he's out in the field working with his father, and I, you know, it doesn't tell us what happened. My thoughts are he probably had a heat stroke or something. He said, man, my head hurts, and he died right there in the field. And so um, they, they brought her to him, and she put him in his bed, and she went, she got up on her donkey and went and met the prophet and said, you know, I told you, you know, that my life was good, that don't create pain in my life like this. And so um, he said, well, here's my staff. He said, take this and put it upon him and he'll live. And she said, no, if something's going to happen, you're coming with me. He said, okay. So he came with her and he prayed for her boy and he was raised from the dead. And so it was an incredible thing. Well, as time went on, there was a famine getting ready to hit the place that they were at. And so he told her, he said, look, you guys need to move away for seven years. There's going to be a famine in the land. So the famine is over. She comes back and she doesn't, somebody's taken her stuff, her property and all that kind of stuff. So she's going to go to the king and talk to the king about it. So in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, we'll pick up here. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. As she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my lord the king, Gehazi exclaimed, here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true? The king asked her. And she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. So God uses Elisha to minister to this woman. And as he uses her, you know, they, they, you know that her and her family became, they were connected with Elijah, partnered with him. So God used him, and then Elisha would just, you know, he would, the, you know, she would provide opportunities for him to need a place to stay and that kind of thing. And then God used him, you know, to do a work in her life. The, you know, and, and so as time went on, one thing after another, well, eventually, you know, she, her and her family follow his advice when they come back or stuff. You know, she doesn't have it, and she wants to get it back. So she goes to the king, and when, when she walks in, Gehazi, the guy that served alongside Elisha, is telling the king this story, even though Elisha's not there. In other words, he's sharing the story of how God used Elisha to impact her story and her world. In other words, he was echoing what had happened. And here's what we have to understand. Number two is this, is that, Letting God use us to be good to people makes an echo in the community. Now, years ago when we first started the church, some of you were around then, we had a series called Make an Echo, and we talked about this. But the reality of it is it's, it's true that that good work, that good deed echoed to the point that here in front of the king, who wasn't even, who wasn't even aware of what had taken place, Gehazi saw it. The woman that had experienced was there, and the king was impacted so much that he restored to this woman everything that she had lost. Not because he'd seen it or experienced it personally, 
but because somebody else that had seen it and somebody else that had experienced it began to echo it into his world and it still had an impact on him as if he was there. There's something about being good to people that when it impacts their world, that it becomes an echo in their life that wherever they go, they begin to share the good things that God has done. And often whenever God moves in the lives of a, of a human being, he uses another person, another imperfect imperfect, broken person that's surrendered to Jesus. He uses them to share his goodness to another imperfect, broken soul that doesn't know about Jesus or hasn't surrendered to him yet. And so one of the reasons why we're good to people is to make an echo in the lives of people that live in our community. For them to, to change, the, to hear the narrative change that the church does care about people. I think the church is supposed to be a representative of Jesus. It should be the conscience of the community. It should demonstrate what the love of God looks like within the community. Whoever thought that the church was called to just kind of mind its own business and stay out of the way and stuff like that has never understood the mission that Jesus has given us as Christians. And part of the mistake that we've made is we just show up and preach instead of just showing up and loving people first and then earning the opportunity and the right where they'll where willingly open up their hearts so now we can share the gospel with them. And so we're called to do that, so that to be good to people so that an echo is made in their life. You know, uh, 12 or 13 years ago, we had this guy, um, he was... Uh, he. he he was doing business in the community and that type of thing, and, and, um, and David Brace uh, had done something with him. Uh, I saw David a little while ago, and he'd invited this guy to church. The guy turned him down. And then there was another time that he was, he was pulling up, and he was going to do something. I think Jamie saw him, Jamie Brace, David's wife. This was two separate occasions, but she invited him to stay and be a part, and he, he turned, that'll, that'll wake you up, he turned her down. And so he, he didn't come either time with any the, the invitation, but often he would hear about things that we'd done in the community, that every time that he would hear something, he would hear about some, somewhere where we'd done something, you know, given away something, been good to somebody. He was, at that time, he was caught in his own addiction. He was trapped in addiction. He, was, he was, had dealt with trauma as a child, and he had some huge anger issues. But he had kids. He had two kids, and even though he was incredibly caught in his own brokenness, trapped in his own brokenness. He still loved his kids. Many of you can relate to that. I, you know, we can relate to that, right? And so he thought, the more he heard about us, even though he turned on those things, he thought, well, I think church would be good for my kids, and this sounds like a safe place to bring them. So he started coming. So yeah, he started coming. Yeah, man. Sometimes he, when he would show up, he would be under the influence of something. He'd be under the influence. But the more he came, he began, God just started doing this work in him. And it wasn't an overnight thing. He began doing this. And as he got more and more free of, of his addiction, but there was still healing that had to take place, he started to serve in the pre-K area. Started serving in the nursery. Started serving with the pre-Kers. After a while, decided that, that probably wasn't the place that God had for him. And so, <laughs> so then he began to serve in the kids. And he would show up and just serve and that type of thing. And then as time went on, he began to serve in recovery. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, just serving that kind of thing. Well, today he's on staff here. It's Pastor Aaron. And so, but it, we have, a, you know, he, he oversees a live-free house now. He, he pastors our recovery ministry. But it, but it didn't begin because he had some huge dream. It began because he would hear about things that would go on, and he had two people that when they encountered him, they just safely invited him, hey, why don't you come? Very first two people that ever invited him to our church, and 
he decided he heard so many things about it. It must be safe to bring my kids to. Even though I'm broken, I don't know if I need it, but they, I want them, their life to be good. Even in my brokenness, I want to be a good dad. So he brought him. Today he's married. He's got six kids. And so, yeah, man, I'm just telling you. Yeah. So we, when we let God be good to people, it makes an echo in the community. That it's, it, they testify of the goodness they've experienced. They testify of those things. I mean, those things that are, you know, of what's happened in their life, of, you know, where they were, that there's, they were reminded that Jesus sees them, that he's not indifferent to them. And man, I know, I know it's, you know, it's, it's risky. I know we do things and people take advantage of it. I know that. I know people, well, they're taking advantage of it. You don't think I know that? I know it. I know it. But two things. One is not everybody is. And second of all, just because they are today doesn't mean they will tomorrow. And so there's this calling that we have as a church that part of what we do is to be good to the community that we live in. And let me just say this too, that sometimes people think about being good. They, they think about all these things that they've seen other churches do. And I'm grateful for those things. I'm not minimalizing those things or, or you know, down, you know, downgrading them or whatever. But in our culture, there's things that we do that speak to people in specific areas that some people say, well, that shouldn't be a big deal to them. Well, maybe it shouldn't, but in this season of life, it is. We have, we have glass slipper down here. And, you know, that shouldn't be a big deal. We provide, you know, dresses for, for girls on special events, you know, the special social occasions that they have for, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old girls that maybe otherwise may not be in a place where their family may not be in a place financially to do that. We said, well, that shouldn't matter. Well, if not, you know, if you're, if you're 40, right, it shouldn't matter to you. You shouldn't be wanting a prom dress if you're 40. <laughs> but if you're 16, if you're 16, yeah. And so to minister in their world where they're at right now, at this moment, to say to them that Jesus sees you. And as a result of that, you know what it's done? It's given us access. We have foreign exchange students that are over here. We're able to minister to them because they didn't come bringing that. We've also, there's a ministry in the area in northeastern Oklahoma that rescues girls that have been, uh, you know, trapped in sex trafficking. They rescue them. And sometimes as a result of that, we've been able to minister to them because of it. You know, I mean, we have gift of Christmas where we minister to people and, and you know, and on Christmas because some people are financially not in a place where they can, you know, have their family experience what they'd like for them to experience. Or sometimes they're just lonely. And that, you know, that was started by Angie as she did that. You know, it was something that God birthed in her heart. And so it took place here. And so we do the, we do the shoe thing, you know, where we, we give away shoes to, to, to kids that, uh, you know, in school and that, and that kind of thing. And just, I go through one thing after another, one event after another, not to mention the things that take place down here on a daily basis that our office ministers to and helps people in situations needing medicine or, you know, needing help getting to a job interview or help, you know, paying utilities and stuff like that, just things like that. And, and so, so we do all of those things as a witness and a testimony to make an echo. When they leave that place, you know, who helped you? Well, that church down there did. The church that, you know, the people talk about it. Again, when they talk about the body of Christ. So number two is this, is that letting God use us to be good to people makes an echo in the community. Let's look at this third thing and we'll close with this. Go with me if you would to 1 John 3. 1 John 3 is back towards, almost towards the end of the Bible. This was a letter that we believe the Apostle John wrote to the church. 
And so in verse 14, verse 14, he said this. He goes, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we pass from death to life. So one of the witnesses that we have that Jesus lives in us is when we love each other. That's a witness. It's a testimony or evidence. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So when we hate people, that the same thing takes place in our heart that would take place in a murderer. That it's the same heart that a murderer has to hate somebody. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we know what real love is, meaning that sometimes there's things that we call love that's not real. You know what love isn't? It's not a feeling. I mean, our culture talks about it being a feeling. We write songs about it. We have movies about it. We write books about it. But it's not a feeling. We know what real love is because Jesus felt this way for us. No. Matter of fact, if you would have asked Jesus when he was on the cross, hey, what do you feel? Well, I feel agony, pain, discomfort. I just, just, I'm just, you know, just the pain can almost be overwhelming. Oh, you must not love us. No, that's why I'm here. Not because of what I feel, but because of the decision that the Father made that I'm, you know, that, who, that I'm making, you know, as an act of love is to serve you. And so he said, we know what real love is. Real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up, uh, up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love in that, be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth. Everybody say, show the truth by our actions. In other words, that he said that, you know, that just saying that we love people is not real love, that it's demonstrated, that when it's real, it's lived out. It makes a difference. There's an evidence of it there. And he said Jesus would, said we would show the truth by that. Uh, early in John 13 in the Gospel of John, he said this. He said, I give you a new commandment, that just like I've loved you, that you love each other. He said, by this, by this will everybody know that you're my disciples. In other words, he said, everybody's going to know that you're a follower of me and that Jesus is real. So one of the great witnesses we have in the world is when we love other human beings. We love people. Now, again, you know, I want to say, but the, when we do that, the, the third thing here is that being good is evidence to the world that Jesus is real. So in doing that, that our goal is not just to be good to them, but it's to point towards the Father to reveal who Jesus is in, rea- who Jesus is in reality. Because I know this, that if they don't have Jesus, all we've done is make our community a better place to go to hell from. And the truth of the matter is, is that when we bring Jesus to the world, then it rescues humanity in their brokenness and in their lostness. And so connected with what we do, there's a reason behind, and that is because we love them. And why? Because he loved us first so we can love them passionately because we're safe in his love and secure in his love. And we want to introduce them to that secure love, which is Jesus. And so as we're good to the place that we live, relentlessly good to the place that we live, it's a way for us to be witnesses to who Jesus is, that he is alive, that he is real, that he does change stories. And just like when Aaron and I, we were talking about his story, and just like he shared, that at first he turned down those invitations, but whenever our name would come up, there would be echoes in the mouths of people of things that we'd done in the community. And at some point, even though he didn't feel like the church had anything for him, he loved his kids so much, even in his addiction, that he thought, I think they need church, and that'll be a safe 
safe place to bring them. And as a result, God transformed not just their stories, but his as well. And so that's who we're called to be as a church. That's who we're called to be, is to be a place that's relentlessly good to the world that we live in. So we can point them towards the Father. And the things that are done will make an echo of what they've experienced. And as a result of that, we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and see their stories change. Because he's the story changer. And so that's who we're called to be as a church. And so forever, from day one, 17, from day one, 17 years ago, that's how we started. From day one, 17 years ago, that's who we were. And Today, here we are 17 years later, and we're, we have a lot more people showing up now than we did then, but that's still who we are to this day. We are a place that's a story-changing place that's relentlessly good to our community, and it's something that God has not called me to do or you to do. He's called us to do together, and so that's who we'll do. All of us have a part to play in it, and so don't let the devil diminish your role or your part. He, Jesus said to disciples that had no political influence, no wealth or power of any kind, hey, you're the light of the world. Let's be light together. And so we'll do that by being good. That's who we're called to be. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. I want us to spend a moment with God. Let's just spend a moment with God, man, and just let him just speak to us and just do a work in us and just make ourselves available. Let the Holy Spirit just give you God thoughts and, you know, and, and you know, just... Again, if God wants to correct us about issues in our life, things that, you know, that, that's going on, whether they're attitudes or behavior, sins in our life that he wants to deal with us, let's let our Father confront us about those things. Let him direct us about things that he wants us to be a part of, directions he wants us to go. Let him comfort us. Let him help us in this moment, in this season. Let him encourage us and call us back. Let's use this moment also to pray for people that are in our world that we know that are lost or hurting or distant from God. Let's just take a moment and spend a moment with God.